We would like to begin this podcast by acknowledging that the land on which we record is the occupied, traditional, and unceded territory of the Stalo First Nation. I think that's what I see over and over in the ways that we're able to come together and not be so concerned about the self-preservation of our organization's brand or, you know, like all of those things, but actually putting shalom building and kingdom building as our first and foremost guiding principle and value, that Jesus-centeredness, because when you do that, and it's not that you do it to get more out of it, but when you do do that, and you're dedicated to that and you're able to like align the things that you're, the actions that you're taking with that, like somehow it has always been generative in some sort of way. But it takes risk and courage, right? Welcome to the Ending Poverty Together podcast. I'm Shalane, and we're here to discuss big questions about poverty in bite-sized ways. Laura Solberg is of Dutch, Norwegian, and Swedish settler descent and a southern Alberta farm girl at heart. She now calls the traditional and unsurrendered territory of the Musqueam, Tsleil-Waututh, and Squamish people, or Vancouver, home. Laura and her husband Bradford share their co-op home on the shores of the Fraser River with their strange white cat named Archie. Laura is the first executive director of Kentro Christian Network, a network of over 60 organizations based in Canada and working to address poverty and injustice from a Jesus-centered perspective. Prior to working with Kentro, Laura spent 17 years in youth work with Youth Unlimited, YFC, focusing on leadership development and their partnership with Rwanda Youth for Christ. Laura, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I'm excited to be here with you. Well, I'm excited to have this conversation with you. Laura, we are asking every guest at the beginning of these conversations this season to finish the sentence, poverty is complex because. So if you're willing, we'd like to just start right there. Yeah, um, I poverty is complex because it is it involves so many different systems. When I answer this question or when I'm teaching young people, sometimes I've used the analogy of like a problem in a body, in a person's body, like a mm-hmm. heart problem or something, and how complicated that is. Like you have to go, in order to be like a heart surgeon, in order to fix that problem, you have to go to school for so many years to learn about all the mm. different systems in the body. And that's just one person's body. And mm-hmm. when we're talking about poverty, it includes multiple people's bodies involved in multiple different types of systems, economic, mm. communal, religious all of these kinds of systems that in various places, brokenness shows up and Mm. then the symptom is poverty. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it's almost like these overlapping systems in which there could be multiple different like cracks or misalignments or um, empty spaces where there should be something um, Mm. that there isn't or places where it's overcrowded, where it should be empty. And you have to like, work your way through some of those layers um, to bring them to to surface them and to allow them to be addressed. Hmm. And when you like, I I felt like, I feel like that's a really good analogy because Mm -hmm. when you actually bring it down to like, oh yeah, like I would never try and perform heart surgery on somebody if they had a, if they had a heart problem, like if they had a heart attack in front of me, I would probably 
sure. employ my CPR skills sure. um, to address it. But like the long-term fix to that solution is not me getting out my kitchen knife and trying to fix it there. Like there's somebody who has intimate knowledge of that system that can get mm-hmm. in there. And then you multiply that by like however many layers, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I actually find it comforting to know you that you know your limits and that if I was to have a heart attack in front of you, you would not be pulling out your kitchen knife. <laughs> I, I wouldn't, but I am trained in CPR. So. Okay, and that's yeah. comfort as well. Yeah. Also, I have a phone and I can dial 911. <laughs> Excellent. But it is a great analogy because it, it identifies the complexity of what we're talking about here. And the symptom that presents is very often not the root cause of what's actually happening. Now, you spend your days, your life work engaged in these kind of conversations and in this work all the time because of your position with Kentro. I am wondering if some listeners may not actually know what Kentro Christian Network is. So can you just fill us in on what it is and what you do? Absolutely. Um, and you're right, Kentro is kind of a really well-kept secret until mm-hmm. recently, yes, starting to become more well-known. Um, we've actually, though, been, we're in our 40th year of being a really like, group. Yeah. Isn't that just That's, bananas? It is. <laughs> That's so fascinating. Yeah. So um, Kentro is a network, a growing network of people and organizations that are centered on Jesus and working towards the flourishing of lives and communities everywhere. Mm. And so um, it started in the early 80s, um, like I said, and it was actually a group of people that convened um, under the auspices of the Canadian Centre for Christian Charities at the time. Um, And so they were all working for international, Christian international development organizations and recognized there was a need for collaboration, for working together, for cross-pollination and learning and everything Mm. um, that just like convening together would help address. And so they started meeting in 1984. Um, And then um, that morphed into what now exists today as Kentro, which is, like I say, a network that like its sole purpose is basically connecting organizations and individuals that are working from a Jesus-centered perspective towards the flourishing of lives and communities everywhere. Mm -hmm. And we do that in lots of different ways. Like we do that through webinars, through an online platform. Um, We actually partner with um, consultants and and different corporate um, service providers that are useful in that sector of international or community development, Mm -hmm. um, as well as with non-faith-based or other faith-based actors as Mm -hmm. well. Mm -hmm. So we maintain our Jesus-centeredness, but this network-like has lots of tentacles. (laughs) Right. Now, some people might actually be aware of this network, but by its previous name. So maybe you could speak to that as well, because that's how I came to know about Kentro. Yeah, absolutely. So we, I I mentioned the the sort of birth or the inception of Kentro in 1984 as a working group of the four C's. the that group continued to sort of meet together and go and they had some specific aims and purposes of why they wanted to meet together for Mm -hmm. um, a a unified voice to learn from each other and to meet together basically Mm -hmm. Um, and as that that group kept on meeting some momentum grew and um, the four c's had its own identity and this group uh, this working group seemed to be emerging its own sort of separate identity and so they came out of the four C's and um, decided to call themselves the Canadian, the Canadian Christian Relief and Development Association. So the CCRDA. 
Okay. And you can see how I like stumble over why there might have been a need for a name change. <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> possibly a little bit long. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, very descriptive. It, for it sure. really is a Canadian Christian Relief and Development Association, but nobody has time to say that. So it was shortened down sure. to CCRDA mm-hmm. um, and then it loses all of its meaning. So we just last year in 2022, we actually did a whole bunch of member consultations and um, working around identity and came up with the new name Kentro, which means center. So mm. point, a nod to the fact or point into the fact that we are centered on Jesus mm-hmm. um, also has the added benefit that we don't have to translate it into English or French, Canada's two official languages or any other language, Sure, which is great. And then sort of reframed it as a network um, to allow us to, like I say, kind of acknowledge and continue to live into those tentacles that seem to be growing everywhere while mm. still maintaining our centeredness on Jesus. Mm-hmm. Now, you've touched on network. You've touched on a variety of different organizations together, over 60, I understand, who are connected now to Cantro. I have heard you refer to the value of radical connectedness in terms of addressing poverty and then also in terms of building shalom. So let's start with in addressing poverty. What do you think is the value of this radical connectedness you talk about? Um, yeah, and it's interesting, like the radical connectedness, because I actually think that it's only radical because we're living in a world in where it's not the norm anymore hmm. um, to acknowledge how connected we actually are with each other and with creation and other creatures. And mm-hmm. um, we've got all of these different systems in place to almost distance us from each other, especially mm-hmm. in the West. Um, and so it's radical in that it is like the opposite of what many of us experience day in and day out. Hmm. Um but it's actually how we were created, like to be in mm-hmm. connection and then be in good, healthy, whole relationship. Um, and I have a really hard time sort of almost separating the addressing poverty from the building shalom because mm-hmm. I think that they are like two, not even two sides of the same coin. They're some sort of other 3D metaphorical image. I'm not really <laughs> sure what it is. But Very interconnected. Yes, exactly. Because like when you think about when you are actually connected and acknowledge and see those connections with other people, with the land in which we live and the resources that we use, mm-hmm. you can't help but want to cultivate the health and well-being of those other creatures and things and people that are mm. that are that you're connected with mm-hmm. because you recognize that it's actually tied up with your own well-being as well like when mm-hmm. the when the others that are part of that shalom community or that community mm-hmm. are unwell whether it's in poverty or illness or you know whatever it actually impacts the whole mm-hmm. um and so this idea of of in western forms of how we organize ourselves and even how we organize helping um like breaking past some of those systems to actually recognize the humanity and the person and people and communities that Mm. we are connecting with Mm -hmm. and it becomes like the obvious thing to be working together for their well-being mm-hmm. and like the like to give an example of kind of the opposite of uh, or the tendency towards the opposite maybe in west western world mm-hmm. is like the professionalization of helping 
helping each other. Like, sure. Um, where we contract out all of these services to the professionals. And don't get me wrong, like, I am in favor of organizations, you know, finding their expertise and serving communities in the way that they do. But sure. I think that there is the tendency to, when we see somebody struggling, to almost move towards or to go first towards okay well who are the professionals that can help instead of being like mm. what is my role in this and how mm -hmm. do we as a community come around this individual this family this whatever to acknowledge that we are connected and if this person is suffering then we're all suffering mm -hmm. it doesn't we don't have to just like contract that out to some sort of service provider or some sort of organization we are actually part of the solution ourselves mm -hmm. so can you talk a little bit more about the shalom piece in there specifically? Can you think of examples of where you have seen evidence of shalom through Kentro? Yeah, I can. Um, I think one of the challenging things with the work that we do and like the connecting and the shalom building is that it isn't oriented to necessarily quick, tangible results all the time. <laughs> right. So it's like, yeah, it's definitely a long-term continual investment or um orientation where mm -hmm. every once in a while you get pops up oh that was a bit of it right mm -hmm. like i can you can just feel that mm -hmm. um i think one of the more recent examples is we hosted a, a hackathon earlier this year okay and this is, I mean, it's kind of the funny, it's a funny one because it's not, maybe not like what you would automatically think of, but it was like so clearly a shalom building experience. Mm -hmm. So we put out a call to our member organizations, which include like lots of the big name international relief and development organizations that a lot of your listeners have probably heard of, like World Vision, mm -hmm. Operation Mobilization, Food for the Hungry, obviously. Mm -hmm. um, and we were asking is there, a, what is like one of the biggest felt challenges that you are experiencing on the ground in the communities where you are working? And we sort of refined that and refined that till we, we had narrowed down a geography. So we narrowed it down to Mozambique. And there was a really particular felt need that an organization was dealing with on the ground, which was um, in poultry farming, in egg production, hmm. and mm -hmm. in the ability of the farmers to actually recognize when there was a problem amongst their chickens there mm -hmm. there's a maybe a an outbreak of disease or like why they weren't producing well and have access to the resources and tools and, and knowledge to address that before it became a bigger problem mm -hmm. so that they could then increase their egg production and all this kind of stuff sure. um and so we actually had a group of hackers like people who are often a little bit disconnected sometimes from like inter like well poultry farmers <laughs> probably right. in Mozambique right. a group of hackers here in Vancouver and a group of hackers in Mozambique hmm. two member organizations partnering together on it so we mm -hmm. had operation mobilization partners worldwide partners worldwide works more on the business development side of things operation mobilization in Mozambique and operation mobilization mm -hmm. was working on the ground with the actual farmers themselves mm -hmm. And the hackers in Vancouver and in Mozambique, which were all young people, like probably in sure. their late teens and maximum age was probably 30, although there wow. was some older um, adults sort of helping facilitate the whole thing. Mm -hmm. They came together at sort of asynchronous times during a week mm -hmm. and over the week produced a prototype of an app 
that could be used by um, technicians who have the expertise in poultry farming, uh-huh. the farmers themselves to report conditions and disease outbreaks back to the technicians and receive advice on it and keep track of it. Wow. Um, and then after that, the organizations continued to work together to like operationalize it. And I was actually Mm. on a Zoom meeting with the hackers in both places. Uh And that's when I say, like, there was this extra, like, intangible um, betterment of the whole Mm. community because Mm -hmm. there was this recognition that these hackers in Vancouver, these hackers in Mozambique, they were connected. Mm -hmm. They were connected to a challenge that was being faced by Mozambican farmers. Mm -hmm. Um, And one of the Mozambican hackers said, it's really cool to be a part of something that's actually going to have tangible impacts on my community with people that I don't necessarily know, right? but is something that my countrymen are experiencing. Mm-hmm. And it was mm-hmm. the same, the same feedback from Vancouver hackers. Sure. And so like, there's like the tangible outcomes there, uh-huh. but you can have tangible outcomes without that sort of like shalom building experience of like, exactly cultivating that connectedness. Yeah. And so many more relationships came out of that, like partners, and mm-hmm. OM are having conversations in Mozambique how to better support these farmers. Mm. We've got hackers here in Canada that are like, oh, this is really interesting. I can use this skill to, in a way I didn't realize I could. And mm-hmm. like, it's just, it was just like a really cool like mm-hmm. catalyst for, for more connections, if you know mm-hmm. what I mean. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's beautiful. And it's, like you said, it's a very practical outworking of the networking that happens within Kentro. And that's actually one of the questions I wanted to ask you is what examples can you share with us that have seen networks because of this networking connection, because of the the Kentro organization, actually be able to address issues, be able to resource one another, to draw on one another's expertise I know we at Food for the Hungry have benefited and have um, really valued and appreciate the opportunity to be a member of Kentro. What else? What else is happening in Canada? Yeah, I can give a couple of examples, some on like a really meta kind of perspective, Mm -hmm. and then others that are really a little bit more particular in in the context, Um, like very particular, some of them actually down to individuals. Um, So on a sort of a meta perspective, Mm -hmm. and this is something that we're exploring more and more as these types of crises seem to be popping up. Um, But when Russia invaded Ukraine last year, Mm -hmm. because I'm connected not only in Kentro Network, but I'm connected with other like network leaders internationally. Mm -hmm. There's a group of us on WhatsApp sending messages all the time. Somehow this group of sort of network leaders came together and um and I was part of that and 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 noticed that there was a gap in the coordination of humanitarian response there oh, interesting because of and I, I always struggle how to explain this without getting too technical but there is a sort of a UN organized framework for addressing humanitarian disaster in certain places but most higher income countries that's that it's called the cluster system it doesn't apply because they have their own domestic or nationalized version of how to do disaster response Mm -hmm. and ukraine and the surrounding countries ukraine there was a it was a little bit applicable 
there, but the surrounding countries, which were receiving most of the refugees and displaced people and needed to be able to funnel resources into Ukraine for humanitarian needs there. Mm -hmm. Like it just didn't exist because they're, they're countries that have their own domestic ways of doing things, but not ways of coordinating amongst each other. And so we got together and we basically developed a way to coordinate the Mm. or for groups humanitarian organizations to coordinate amongst themselves Mm -hmm. disaster response activities um so and then aligned it with the existing un system so that we were using like categories that um if if there was going to be if that was going to become activated they could easily Mm -hmm. slot into that and feed into it so it wasn't a competing system it was something that Mm. aligned really well Mm -hmm. um and because of that we had stories of like organizations who had access to tons of food networks throughout Europe, mm-hmm. but didn't have transport into Ukraine. And so that we could then connect oh, the yes. people who had the food with the transport right. or the people right. who had the transport and the food with warehouses mm-hmm. or people who are looking or are accompanying displaced people on their journey to safety need mm-hmm. medical attention. Well, there's a, a field hospital here where you can check in here. Mm-hmm. We even had it down to like, the um border crossings which ones were open which ones had long lineups like incredible yeah it was really cool because it was a team of it was myself in north america there was a a number of people in germany and belgium somebody in i think indonesia who was doing some of the Hmm. back end stuff as well as well and it just like it was a lot of work (laughs) but it came together and it actually allowed for organizations to coordinate their responses in ways that they would not have been Hmm. able to or would have been much more challenging and you just don't Mm -hmm. have time they didn't have time to do that without those Mm -hmm. tools so it's like a meta example yeah and it sounds like a lot of those organizations you're talking about were specialists in a particular area but Mm -hmm. not in the whole package that's required to actually get the supplies to the people who were in need yeah and they're specialists in a particular area and they also had their particular relational connections Mm, which was huge for different like geographies as well sure So, like when there was um there was one city in the south who was like constantly under bombardment and one of our members had really good relational and historical connections in that city in one of their hospitals and so Mm. then to be able to like utilize that connection even just for communication's sake Mm -hmm. because nobody else could have communication in there Right. right. So, yeah, it was really it was a really cool thing to be a part of. So that's the meta example mm-hmm. where you as the organizational executive director of mm-hmm. Kentro is connecting with other similar kinds of leaders internationally. What's an example of how organizations maybe you could use this as your sales pitch, Laura. Why would somebody want to be a member <laughs> member of Kentro? <laughs> what what are some of the advantages? What are the benefits? Yeah. What do you see? What do you hear from organizations mm-hmm. saying, Wow, we are so grateful that we have a chance to be part of Kentro because? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's such an interesting question because um there's a lot of different answers I could give and probably a lot of different answers that different people with different understandings within the network would give as well. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that we've worked really hard and continue to work really hard on is not positioning ourselves as a service provider. Like the mm. biggest service that we provide is the connection and mm-hmm. the brokering of relationships. Mm-hmm. So um, 
if you, if somebody was asking like, what is the benefit of being a member of Kentro? Like I could go through and list all of the like financial return on investments, all of the like, um, like webinars that you get to be a, a part of or affinity mm-hmm. groups or, you know, discounts that we have negotiated on a bulk level or whatever. Mm-hmm. But the reality is, is that we do want there to be like it to make financial sense and for it to be accessible to even small mm-hmm. organizations. But the biggest benefit is the access and connections within the network itself. And that's mm-hmm. that's not only like what my heart is, that's also whenever we have ever surveyed any of our members and we've, mm-hmm. you know, we've been doing surveys of our members since I started getting involved in, in Kentra, which is in 2013. Mm-hmm. Um, they always report that the biggest benefit is the relationships, like the mm-hmm. friendships and the connections that they, so it's, it's almost, it's like beyond that, it's hard to almost quantify because mm-hmm. people themselves who are reporting it, like they can't even necessarily quantify, right. like, why is that the most valuable right. thing? Like you see, like I say, you see blips of it when things mm-hmm. happen, like the hackathon or when we were able to coordinate some of those member responses or when one member organization has a very specific need in the country and mm-hmm. I can send out an email and somebody helps with that need. Mm-hmm. But that's like the blips and people, even when there's not those little blips and so, or sometimes not not so little, like big blips, um, the thing that people always report that they appreciate the most is the relationships that they're able Mm -hmm. to form with people that they might not always be able to. Sure. And I think those relationships then foster the opportunity to connect in ways. I'm thinking of like GAC grants and some of these, the opportunities that exist through government grants, through people being able or organizations being able to come together and apply for something that in and of themselves, they're too small or don't have the uh, people who are skilled in grant writing, whatever the case might be. And they can then perhaps even say, well, we're really solid in our expertise in this area. This organization is solid over here. And the government or the the grant um provider is looking for both. And so together we can do that. I know that from Food for the Hungry's perspective, those kinds of, of relationships have happened. Can you think of other ways that that this would be true? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this one's a bit of an older example, but we did have a group of Kentro members come together and get a fairly significant, it wasn't called Global Affairs at the time. I think it was, I think it started when it was still CETA, the grant itself. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it, it, throughout the, the progression of the grant, the department changed its name again to DFAT-D and now it's Global Affairs. But <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, sorry. <laughs> Thank you for telling people what it is, Global Affairs, because, yeah. <laughs> you know, we get into all these acronyms, acronyms and, and stuff. Yeah. Speaking of CCRDA, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> totally. um, and that was pretty, I think that was, um, there is definitely like a vision for more of that. So long story short, we had, I think it was five members come together and one of them was the lead on the uh, on the grant um and the lead had an already established relationship with with what is now global affairs and Mm -hmm. so it was trusted it was a trusted organization that was going to take on sort of the the risk from the global affairs Mm -hmm. side of things Mm -hmm. but the other partner organizations they they were able to implement the project in the different contexts in i think three or four different countries and so it was on, I, I believe it was on maternal and child health. Um, mm-hmm. And so that was sort of like the thematic area. 
the main lead partner had the trusted record of knowing how to deal with global affairs and do all the mm-hmm. reporting on all of that. And then it just sort of filtered down into the, I think it was three or four other member organizations that were able to do a little bit more locally contextualized, still right. along the same theme of yeah. maternal and child health in their specific context and then mm-hmm. report back up the chain again. Mm-hmm. So that was, I mean, that was a really cool thing that happened. That was uh, probably about 10, almost 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's always like this um, sort of like cross-pollinating of learning, especially when it comes to some of those bigger institutional like global affairs that some of the bigger organizations are, they either have established relationships, understand it a little bit more, or used to like like following through on some reporting or, or all of the regulations that come with that can offer those services or partner with some of the smaller organizations, mm-hmm. even just in a learning capacity. Like it doesn't mm-hmm. always get to the place where they're getting multi-million dollar grants from the government, sure. but helping to equip each other. And I think mm-hmm. as, uh, on, a, on a smaller scale, I actually have two really cool examples on a smaller scale when it comes to like sharing resources. Mm-hmm. So um, one of our uh, member organizations is, is somewhat small, but quite niche in mm-hmm. the area of like medical care, uh, Medical Ministries International. And okay. they have a long-standing relationship with some Indigenous groups in the Amazon of um, helping local doctors as well as visiting doctors provide medical care to Indigenous people who don't often, aren't often able to get, you know, like it's a lot of work to get to a mm-hmm. hospital. And so they set up mm-hmm. clinics that are more easily accessible at certain times of the year. Um, and during COVID, that was like a really significant um, oh thing God. for them to be able to have access to, ha- sure. have medical care, not having to go into the city and everything. Mm-hmm. One of our other denominational members, so an or- uh, organization um, that has, um, like, it is the International Development Arm of a Denomination. So obviously mm-hmm. has connections into churches and they receive, I think, a portion of their offerings and like things like that. Mm-hmm. wanted to, they saw this was happening. I thought like this lines up really well with some of our values. We don't have implementation partners there. We're going to partner with you and and then funnel some of that money so that you can implement. Mm-hmm. And that actually, actually I think that, that they knew that the Amazon work was happening and then COVID hit and it was like Medical Ministry International were like, we need to be able to continue to pr- provide this mm-hmm. medical care because the environment has changed. And FAIR, mm-hmm. the other organization, came along and said, we can help you do that mm-hmm. kind of thing. That's beautiful. Um, so that was one, which I also think, like, I think that's just really cool because it's like, like I say, sort of a sharing of these resources. Mm-hmm. The other one that I, that already exists. So it's not like coming with new resources necessarily. They're resources exactly. that already exist. Yeah. Um, the other one that was also really cool was, um, again, related to when Russia in- invaded Ukraine. Um, there was this like big upswelling of people wanting to help and give donations mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff. And so mm-hmm. organizations that are known to be international relief or development organizations were receiving money with, um, or people wanted to give them money to respond in Ukraine and some of those organizations didn't have programming in Ukraine. And so they right. their choice was to, um, you know, direct the donors to another charity mm-hmm. or somehow collect the money and then funnel it to another organization or do something like that. So mm-hmm. Compassion Canada was one of those organizations, obviously a very well-known um, mm-hmm. 
organization in the international development in the Christian sector. Um, so lots of people, like they have the capacity to do a, an, an appeal and raise a bunch of money, but they didn't have work in Ukraine. Sure. Sure. And so what they actually did is they looked through the other Kentro members and saw like which organizations mm. have existing work mm-hmm. in Ukraine, came up with a really simple sort of, I don't know if it's application or proposal process or whatever. One of their primary like requirements was that they be Kentro members because they wanted to have that already established sure. relationship, that trusted uh-huh. relationship. And they ended up doing a pretty significant appeal and being able to support the work of, I think, four or five other organizations Hmm. that already had those relationships on the ground and were already responding. Mm -hmm. And I just thought like, that is such a, that's such an amazing example of, like I I said, like resources that already exist Mm -hmm. within the networks and communities that we have, that compassion could, Mm -hmm. you know, bring on board and distributing amongst the people who are well suited to do the work. Mm -hmm. I'm just smiling because we have a meeting in our FH community within our staff. And the very purpose of the meeting is to maximize every resource. And it sounds very much to me like that's what's happening in this discussion and in this kind of situation. You know, Laura, I feel like we could just chat here for another several hours. Oh my hours. gosh, yes, I'm just getting started, Yeah, Shalane. that's right. <laughs> Which leads me to my final question, yeah. <laughs> unfortunately. <laughs> Is there anything else that you just would really like to share in this discussion? Is there anything else that you feel like, oh, I'm going to wish I had said that once we're done? Oh, there's probably a million of those things. Okay. Could you just maybe narrow it down to one or two? (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think it really is that sort of like generative thing that happens when we come together in mm. working towards right relationship or healthier relationship that mm-hmm. that what comes out of it is more than goes in somehow right like mm-hmm. it's like Jesus with the loaves and loaves and fishes what went into that mm-hmm. was way less than what came out mm-hmm. the and multiplication yeah totally and whether that was and i've heard different interpretations of that and either way i think it's a miracle if it was a miracle god just like there's more fish and there's more sure. loaves or people realize, oh, if that little boy can share what he has, well, mm. I do actually have this low owner here. I could share mine too. And mm-hmm. it inspired the generosity of the community. I also think that's a miracle. Whatever it is, the miraculous thing there was generative. It created mm-hmm. more than we started with. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's what I see over and over in the ways that we're able to come together and not be so concerned about the self-preservation of our yes. organization's brand or, um, you know, like all of those things, but mm-hmm. actually putting shalom building and kingdom building mm-hmm. as our first and foremost guiding principle mm-hmm. and value, that Jesus-centeredness, because when you do that, and it's not that you do it to get more out of it, but when you do do that mm-hmm. and you're dedicated to that and you're able to like align the things that you're, the actions that you're taking with that, like somehow mm-hmm. it it has always been generative mm-hmm. in some sort of way. But it takes risk and courage, right? Like, Absolutely it does. And, it, and I think when you talk about maintaining that Jesus-centeredness, that requires servant leadership. It requires that humility to say, we have this to offer. We will bring this to the table. We also have need. 
And so is there somebody who can assist in that? And I think that's that beautiful coming together when there is that that humility on both and recognition on both sides. Um, and it's happening on a larger scale within the Kentro network. Yeah. So thank you so much for being here today. I really appreciate it. I always love having chats with you. And one last thing I would ask is people are interested, they're listening, and they want to learn more about the Kentro Christian Network. How do they find you? How do they find out more? Yeah, you can follow us on social media. It's mm-hmm. at Kentro Network. Um, most of our social medias are just social media handles are just at Kentro Network. Okay. Um, we have a website. It is kentronetwork.ca where you can sign up for emails. Mm-hmm. Um, and we try and keep track of, you know, who's getting information about what. So you can sort of filter a little bit with the domestic side or working more locally mm-hmm. here in Canada or internationally. Mm-hmm. Um, or you can email us at admin at kentronetwork.ca. Okay, perfect. Yeah. Well, thank you again for being here. And I would just say if you're listening today and you want to explore what your next steps could be and find out more about FH Canada and the Kentral Christian Network, start by checking out fhcanada.org resources. <music>